Welcome back. A fortress has been dealt a blow. That's as the JSC uh, stripped the property company of its REIT status as it did not meet certain requirements. This follows the back and forth between shareholders and executives with fortress working on dismantling its dual share structure. Joining me now to discuss what all these moves mean for the company and shareholders is the group CEO Stephen Brown and CFO Ian Foster. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for your time. Let's start off with you, uh, Stephen. I mean, uh, just Take us back to 2009 when a fortress listed with that dual share structure. What necessitated it? What was the most motivation behind it? And what was promised to shareholders? It really was something set up to access different pools of capital in a mm. more efficient way. So the A shares had a preferential right to the um, to the distributions at the time, and then the B shares. Um, really got whatever was left at the time. So it was done in an era when I think property distributions were going up quite quickly and also when the general equity funds found property probably a little bit too um, caught between being a bond and being an equity. So the B shares were created, which was a little bit racier and gave them more of a, a geared equity type return. And then the A shares were really a slightly more bond-like product and, and that fitted different mandates at the time. So I think it was done really as a almost a bit of an experiment. It was quite common in the South African market at the time, but um, certainly as we sit here today, it, it has probably seemingly run its course. Yeah. What actually was promised to shareholders? So is, is it only just uh, concerning the preferential treatment of dividends? Yes, that's right. So, so it was all contained in, in 2009 when it was a property loan stock company, and then it converted to a, a regular company and under the REIT, um, the REIT regime in, in 2015. Um, and that did, it, it did change in terms of the, the, the structure so that it wasn't um, mm. funded any longer with these, these debentures, and it was just funded with, uh, with equity shares. But the structure kept the A and B classes. Um, in, in 2015 when it converted from a PLS to a REIT. All right. Uh, Ian, just to uh, add on to the conversation there, I mean, when did it become a real consideration to actually start having conversations about uh, collapsing this dual share structure? <coughs> well, I think that the, um, you know, the onset of COVID, I suppose, in 2020, the 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 privatization that we've, we've got contained in the MRI in order to pay the dividend uh, became apparent to us. And, you know, as time moved on, 2021, um, you know, we noted more and more problems with this dual share structure and, and the inability of the board to be able to declare and pay the dividend um, whilst the company was still liquid and solvent. So, um, you know, th that was probably the, 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 the tipping point or the inflection point um, uh, mid mid uh, 2021, I'd say. Yeah. So would you say then, Ian, that a shift in the economic fundamentals maybe then necessitated those conversations and that um, shift in thinking of collapsing that that share structure? Oh, there's no doubt that the macroeconomic climate, um, you know, from 2020 to today has changed materially. Yeah. And um, and in, in light of that. Uh, the earnings and um, you know the, the unfortunate part of our capital structure is that the, the return on the A share is binary um, and to the extent that the earnings are, are not in excess of that binary 
distribution benchmark, the company can't declare the dividends. And, and that's the, the sort of prohibition that, that exists on declaring the dividends, um, which is probably not, well, it's not, it's not probably not, it's definitely not ideal for a REIT structure. Yeah. The REIT structure is, is designed to, uh, to really pay a dividend and, and pass that dividend into to shareholders' hands. Yeah. All right. So you've had a lot of votes uh, in terms of uh, the share swap ratio and really trying to get to a point where shareholders agree um, on the ratio to take in order to collapse that dual share structure into a single share structure. Just coming to you, Stephen, I mean, what have been the major failings of the votes on the single share structure? Look, I think, you know, there's there's a, a lot of divergent views on on each, you know, class and, and what the relative values are. Um, you know, we came quite close to collapsing it last year. I think roughly 60% of the shareholders of both classes, funny enough, supported it, but we needed a really high threshold of, of 75%. So that um, un unfortunately didn't get us to where we wanted, which was as a, a single share read structure. But, you know, I think the important thing for, certainly for the, uninformed or you know investor as it pertains particularly to fortress and our moi it becomes incredibly complicated but the fortunate thing is investors have got the opportunity um certainly today to to neutralize that structure for themselves and not worry about it and just look at it like it's a regular real estate investment company and you buy roughly one a and one b so if you buy one a and one b you've you've neutralized the structural differences and then you've really got a unit of equity in certainly what i would consider a fantastic company and at a really really steep discount i mean as we sit here today if you take the 23.7 percent that we own in nepi and you deduct that from our adjusted market cap you get almost zero so you're getting this lovely portfolio of of, of assets worth probably between 13 and 14 billion rand on a net asset value basis for free um, you know, and then don't concern yourself with the structural complications because you neutralize it with one A and one B. So I think it, it, there's there's certainly um, some opportunities that have probably come to the fore for savvy investors to to look at Fortress at this point. Yeah, just on that, uh, Stephen. I mean, do you think that maybe Fortress could have done more um, to kind of get the favor of shareholders in terms of uh, this collapse or? Is it maybe a thing of shareholders not completely uh, getting the full picture? Perhaps, but you know, sh shareholders will make their own views on whatever scheme we 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 put to them. Um, you know, and I think the fact that the majority got there, which was sixty percent, not not the seventy-five of both classes that we needed, um, could we have done more? I, I, I believe that we always could have done more. I think we did everything that we reasonably could have been expected to do. We certainly tried hard to uh, to get into the place that we wanted, but it's up to shareholders. It's their prerogative to vote how they see fit. So I think, you know, the one thing that we have tried to do is highlight this as a shareholder matter, and, and we've put a lot of things to shareholders to vote. And I think they appreciate that, you know, they we're providing them a say in in the instrument that they own and in the future. So I think, you know, we always like to um, adhere to shareholder democracy and we put things to them to vote. And then if it doesn't pass, we 
we manage it and carry on. Mm. Um, I understand that uh, not all the shareholders um, were happy with the options that were given in terms of the share swap ratio. Uh, Ian, just from you, what considerations were made in terms of coming up with those uh, share price ratios? And also, how do you get the perfect share price ratio? Sure. <laughs> That's difficult. But I, I suppose if we start, you know, what, what's considered, <clears throat> well, well, what's considered is um, the valuation of the business, the valuation of the individual share classes, um, the economic split that, that uh, would have resided with the A shareholders and the B shareholders. And, um, and, and then whatever that spat out as a ratio was, was really what was proposed. In, in, in this case, I think where we landed was 80-20. Uh, it was 20% to the, the B shareholders and 80% uh, for the A shareholders. The, the, the logic being that the 80% of the economics um, would compensate the A shareholders, I suppose, for their preferential rights to uh, distributions when declared and the preferential right that they would have on a liquidation or winding up um, with the balance going to, to the B shareholders. So, it's it's a fine line, you know. I suppose, you know, in any negotiation, you sort of bring both parties together and, and then hope that that you can find meeting in the middle. But I suppose what's important in this case to 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 recognise is that the company wasn't the principal in the deal. What that means is, um, we were we were trying to facilitate the transaction between two classes of shareholders. You know, you had to sort of say, well, we, we've heard you and we've heard you. Um, um, and of course, you know that that that's all in the preamble to to before the 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 real specialists gets involved. You know the real specialists, the the corporate advisors, and so on. And then they really go and try and get both parties across the line. Um, be, again, bearing in mind that the company actually can't give more to one class or the other because what you're doing is you're taking away from one class to give to the other. And at the risk of getting a few, you know, across the line on the one side, perhaps the B side. You lose some of the A's, and at the risk of getting some more of the A's across the line, you lose some of the B's, and then you just hope that uh, you know when you get to the end, um, that economic split, whether it's 80, 20, 79, 21, 81, uh, 19, whatever it is, that that it's enough to get in, you know, to get the majority of the shareholders, and it's a high a high threshold to pass, 75% of of each class and combined, enough of them across the line to say. This works for us. This works for me. Let's mm -hmm. let's fix it and and move on. Um, yeah, it's it's really all of the above. Yeah. A high threshold to reach, but there is a school of thought that says looking at the fact that uh, the majority that was required for shareholders to be in agreement, looking at those decisions that. Um, sh management is not aligned with shareholders. Stephen, what do you have to say to that? Look, in terms of these type of schemes of arrangement, um, you know, there's quite a quite a strict process that that's followed by the board. Um, so, you, you know, you, you appoint an independent board, and then experts get involved to to set that for for that exact reason that you know there needs to be an independent, fair and reasonable opinion, which we got from from EY, and um, certainly the independent board opines on that. So, you, you know, that doesn't um, that that doesn't involve uh, management because of those. Those inherent conflicts in any um, in any corporate action or, or scheme of arrangement such as this. Yeah, um, another gripe that uh, shareholders uh, seem to have 
is the change in accounting policy that was implemented, uh, I think, in December 2021. Um, you spoke about earlier on, uh, Stephen, your uh, stake in uh, Nepi Rock Castle, uh, where now the policy says that you can only uh, include uh, the dividends from Nepi Rock Castle only when you actually receive the cash and not necessarily when the uh, dividend is declared. Of course, now that leads to distributable earnings now uh, being less uh, to the point where uh, you may not get to the uh, threshold that does trigger dividends. Um, Ian, what necessitated this uh, accounting policy and do you think that uh, shareholders have, have, have a case here? Well, that is one of, of a few changes that were made over the years that really go back to, I suppose, 2018, in fact, you know, um, that the accrual versus cash basis of accounting for, for NEPI. What the companies seek to do over the last, uh, I suppose, four years is to, to um, firstly align its distribution methodology, which is, is actually not an accounting policy change. It's a, it's a distribution methodology change um, to that of what the definition of distributable profit is per the JSC. And the, the risk that the company kept facing is based on its methodology, were we under or over the, the JSC's distribution, uh, distribution policy or distribution profit methodology? So it gets quite complex uh, between the two, but fundamentally the JSC's um, idea of a REIT is that um, over time it would distribute the revenue in terms of the tax revenue, um, uh, taxable profit to, to shareholders. And unfortunately, over time, as the REITs did, that was sort of looked at differently. And, and there was, I suppose, incentive by the sector to, to bolster distributions and so on, um, which meant that these non-cash-backed earnings were finding their way into the distribution. Um, so that series of changes really aligned our distribution methodology to that of the JSCs. And, and then on the back of that, it meant that if we were distributing circa 75 of our distributable profits, we never ran the risk of falling short of the JSCs number. Mm. So, you know, th that's really uh, um, some of the motivation or a large part of the motivation um, that those changes were made. And also bearing in mind they were made in an environment in which um, guidance by the Nepi Rock Castle, the investment that you mentioned, wasn't out in the marketplace. And we were consistently trying to guess whether or not we would make the JC's number um, without having knowledge of what Nepi Rock Castle would, would distribute. So it was, a, it, it, it was a, a, a change in response to the macroeconomic um, environment at the time. Mm. Um, yeah, and a meaningful change to to to, uh, to ensure that our distributions were cash backed, yeah. and what that means is the the sustainability and liquidity position of the company um, for the future is protected. Yeah. So ultimately, that change as well is is in the interests of shareholders and in the interests of the company. All right, gentlemen, uh, we have run out of time, but I just want to put one question to each of you uh, just to close the conversation off. Uh, I was actually looking at the chart for both of those share classes. I did see uh, quite a bit of pressure on the A shares. Um, Stephen, do you, are you anticipating any kind of uh, significant exodus uh, on that front, considering also that some of these inst institutional investors are mandated to have REITs on their portfolios and the fact that they're not going to be getting dividends, at least in the short term? Yeah, I mean, 
I, I don't want to comment on, on, on their mandates. I don't have a lot of insight into that. But I think a lot of the investors have certainly, you know, the ones that are, are particular in one class are very well educated in, you know, what the particular issues are. Um, I would really hope there isn't an exodus. Um, you know, it's, it's never nice to see that. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, there's, there's such immense value in, in the combined equity of, of Fortress, which you, you can get with buying, you know, roughly 1A and 1B. And I think that's, that's hopefully what we see. Maybe there's a little bit of neutralizing of shareholding and then, you know, it might make, um, you know, our lives easier if, if, if shareholders are, are more aligned with each other than they have been in the past. All right. So, of course, uh, now no dividends being paid out, but there are tax implications. But um, on a positive note, analysts have some analysts have said that, you know, this is uh, good for the business so that you can allocate the capital uh, to bolster the balance sheet. Uh, Ian, are you having any conversations on where that capital could be absorbed? Yeah, look, our capital allocation, um, um, call it hierarchy, I don't think has changed materially. We're still a property company. We're still a listed property company. We still have an array of property-related um, uh, uh, investments that we can look at, and and fail in which we we have 18 billion rands worth of debt. So, you know, immediately, uh, where does the cash go? Well, it gets put into the bank account, and and we use it to re uh, repay debt with an immediate return of know, around eight percent at the moment, where interest rates are um, of, of of foregone interest. So. Mm. Um, yeah, there, there, there are various property property opportunities that that um, um, may become um, well attractive property opportunities that may be, may come up for us in in the foreseeable future. Right. Well, we will be looking out for that, uh, particularly when we, you do release your numbers. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for that and for clarifying uh, the position around the dual share structure and the removal of the REIT status. Uh, that was Fortress CFO Ian Forster and CEO Stephen Brown.